wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed, no more back to thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. Oh, wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. They're the ones who's coming up, and the world is in their hands. When you teach the children to jump the very best If we just let it be, na 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 na, the world won't get no better. We gotta change it now, just you and me. Wake up, all the doctors make the old people well. They're the ones who suffer and who catch all the hell. They don't have so very long before their judgment day. So won't you make them happy before they pass away? Wake up all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to do is put it in our minds. Surely things will work out. They do it every time The world won't get no better If we just let it be The world won't get no better We gotta change it Just you and me
8078. Again, the number is 817-889-8078. And before we get into our next segment, let's take a commercial break. Doesn't seem like it's working. So let's get into our segment with Peter Pactor. Thank you, Peter, for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. So I want to introduce our listeners to you. Mr. Pactor has been a teacher and administrator in junior high and senior high schools. Although he has retired from the classroom, After 50 years, he decided to become an author. And today we're going to hear more about the book that brought me to Peter called Thoughts to Hold On to for Teenagers. I thought the book gave very good information for our teenagers because so many of us are indulged with the computers and our uh, devices that doesn't allow us to be able to really talk to others and get to know others and know about some of the things that make living worth living, such as showing appreciation for others and caring for one another. So we're going to talk to Mr. Pactor more about that and let him give his thoughts about thoughts to hold on to for teenagers. So Uh, Peter, would you like to talk about how you came into uh, wanting to be an educator as well as writing the book, Thoughts to Hold On to for Teenagers? Well, to become an an educator, it just happened in a flash in my junior year in college. I knew that that's what I had to be, and that's what I've done since since then. So for me, it was like having a job that I do for nothing if everything were equal. It was, it was just something I really enjoyed. I think everyone should work at something they enjoy. I could have made more money in other areas, but I, I like being with the kids and I still sub just so I can get out and talk to kids and, and uh, be around people. I've got plenty to do at home writing and I've got my, my fourth book should be coming out in uh, probably before the end of May. So I'm pretty excited about that. Anyway, this book, Thoughts to Hold On To, I actually printed it in 1995. And what I've used it for as I've been teaching the last quarter century was I would see kids come to come to class and they'd have something going on in their lives. I don't know what it was. And I'd give them a copy. And usually the book would either solve their problem for them or it would open lines of communication, we could talk about those things. And I wrote it, actually, when I first wrote it, I wrote it because I had a lot of kids I knew were having some issues, and I thought this would help them. And I actually asked those kids to read for me as I went along. So sometimes they said, we need a chapter on this or a chapter on that. And so I put those in. And so that's that's really how I got started with this. And I think it's a really good book for teenagers. I, there was a time when I was wrestling with something and my brother said to me, read your book. And that ended our conversation. <laughs> but <laughs> I, but you have your words thrown back in your face. I, you know, that, that makes you feel kind of foolish to talk to talk about it. You so, know, as I was reading your book, it, it helped me to uh, see what, information that would easily be able to uh, give into students that's going through some of these things, such as being angry or knowing how to treat others or how to have a relationship with their parents and some of the things they need to do when just asking for what they need. So I thought it was a really good resource in that way for teenagers. Well, that's what it was meant to be. 
I think I think it's good for them. I also think it's good for adults. But I wrote this with teenagers in mind because everything in high school is a crisis, and sometimes they think they're the only ones with that problem, and so they feel isolated. But it's not necessarily the case. We need to just have better lines of communication all around. Yes, I agree. We need to communicate better. And the kids don't communicate as well today as they did when I wrote this book because of the cell phone. They they have a hard time face to face having face to face conversations. But the cell phone has been an incredible tool for the kids, and uh, there's a lot to be said for its use academically. Uh, I know that my son, who's now 20, knows a lot more than I ever did when I was his age. And he learns it because he's online all the time. But the knowledge isn't organized, and sometimes it's not even right. But uh, they are involved in, I think, and I thought of this for the last five years I I taught, that perhaps we're not teaching the right way anymore. I think if they want, there's a story. Let me tell you a story. Story about Mm -hmm. Henry Ford. And they said that the newspapers were printing articles about him and said how ignorant he was. And in many ways he was ignorant, but we're all ignorant in different ways. And he um, finally decided to sue the newspapers. So they got him in court and the lawyer was asking him questions that he would normally learn in school. But I don't think he had much formal education. And... uh, he, one of the questions he asked, he was asked was, uh, how many Hessians came over during the Revolutionary War? And he said, I, I don't know how many came over, but I know there are a lot fewer that went back. And and then he and then he, he got just got tired of it. And he said, look, why should I fill my mind with all these facts when I've got eight buttons on my desk and I can press one of those buttons? And the right person will come down and give me the answer. And hmm. that's what has happened in our education today, that the kids uh, have those buttons at their hand better than Henry Ford had. And they can go online instantaneously to find information they don't have. And sometimes they go online to find the answers to the homework assignments that are all online for almost every text that's, that's written. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it eliminates that. So I think I would change the way I, I taught. Um, maybe not when I was teaching Latin, but certainly things like history and writing, literature, things like that. Um, and I think the kids need to learn other skills than just cramming their head with uh, these knowledge. They don't, they're not learning to think well or to communicate either in a written or oral fashion. So I think if I, I were doing this, I think there's four pillars of education. The first one is acquire uh, knowledge, which is what we generally do now. The second one is you go to school to learn how to learn. And the third one is you go to school to learn how to communicate. And you go to school to be educated. But let's talk about education. I think education the hallmark of education is character. And I see a lot of people running around today who have diplomas and, and degrees and advanced degrees who I don't think are very educated because they don't have character. And there are people who aren't as that well educated who don't have diplomas and degrees who can be educated. It doesn't require you to go to school and develop your character. And schools used to teach character indirectly as part of their program. I so agree with you. I agree with you. What advice would you give educators and parents to help their children reading habits? I know we were just talking about having character, but I think that all comes all together because it's how it's reading books that kids learn how to have character or have and having um, a schedule of doing things. So what advice would you give parents and educators to help our children? Okay. Well, that, that is a, a very tough question because I'm not sure they're ready to do this. Uh, 
I think about a lot of things. I, I had a tutoring program that I started for my son. My kids were adopted. He was in the fourth grade when he arrived with us, and he couldn't read at a first grade level. And he failed everything in seventh grade. We moved that year. We went to a different city. And even though he failed everything, they put him in regular, they put him in the grade he should have been in and put him in a special class. And toward the end of his eighth grade year, they put him in regular classes in school. And I said, if something's not done for him, I will, I, he will make it. So I started a, a tutoring program where I worked on behaviors, uh, study skills, things they would need to learn. And it was amazing because the average grade improvement for kids I worked with was about 10 points in their, in their grade average for the, over the previous uh, report card. And my son, I would say, um, had his best year ever in school in the ninth grade. The 10th grade was better. And his junior and senior year, he was on honor roll both years. Then he didn't do much for 12 years and called me, said, I'm going to go back. So he went back to school and graduated uh, magna cum laude, which is better than his father ever did. <laughs> so uh, That's I, awesome. I, think they can, but I think one of the problems with the kids learning and doing well, I'm going to get to the reading in a minute, is, is they don't know how to do it. And that's essentially what I did with the kids. And they would get frustrated with me because I would make them do the work. And if they weren't done right, they had to fix what was wrong with it. And um, when they finished the work, we worked for two hours. When they finished the work and early, you know, they didn't have anything to do. I started to I, – I learned these things from the kids. I learned a lot from the kids. Anyway, I started to give them books to read. And I gave them Louis L'Amour books. And these kids who did not like to read – would say, can I take this home with me? And I say, sure. And sometimes they ask for two or three books over the weekend. And these were kids that never read. They, they liked Louis L'Amour. And I think that made a great difference in uh, their learning and their reading. Our kids do not read enough. And, they don't, they, and when they do read, they rarely read biographies, which they need to read probably a lot more of, because they see... Uh, people who are successful and don't know what they had to go through to get there. And it's really a struggle. And it's just about every successful man in my book, my series, Daniel, the age of discovery and Daniel, the age of anxiety. And the third one's Daniel, the age of Epimetheus is coming out at the end of May. Um, I have real characters in the book. When I was finishing the second one or the third one, I guess it was that I realized that, these people that are in my book, the real people, they were self-educated and are self-made men. It was it was amazing. They had the drive to do that. And you'll see that they did that. And sometimes it, ta it takes work. And sometimes it takes a lot of work to overcome those handicaps. Not everyone is at home where people read. But uh, if you can read, you can learn anything. And I so agree. I think, I, think, I think that's all important. Thank you. Yes, I, that's that's all good advice because uh, our children are not reading uh, books that are very interesting to them, and they're just not taking the time to have a love for learning to read. But right now, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back to continue discussing um, ways to get our kids interested into reading and finding mentors for our students. We'll be right back. Meet the black female NASA genius who helps send the first American into space. Don't know Katherine Johnson? Well, she was the black mathematician behind the U.S.'s first trips to the moon, and she made her mark as a black woman despite working in the Jim Crow South during the 1960s. Johnson, who was born in the tiny town of White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia in 1918, was kind of a total whiz kid, and she loved to count. She skipped grades and started high school at the age of 10, which is pretty astounding in its own right. But it's even more amazing considering that schooling for black students in those days typically ended at the 8th grade. 
Johnson later went to college to study math before graduating at, get this, 18. She went on to be a teacher and later a stay-at-home mom before landing a position at the newly launched NACA, or as we now know it, NASA, at the Langley Research Center in 1953. She was hired to be a human computer. Women were hired by NASA to count and measure the results of wind tunnel tests. Not only did female computers work separately from their male co-workers, but the female offices were further segregated by color. Black female computers worked in separate rooms from the white female computers, and were even sometimes referred to as colored computers. But Johnson's smarts couldn't be denied. She was transferred to NASA's flight branch after only having worked there for two weeks. There, Johnson wound up calculating the trajectory for Alan Shepard's 1961 mission. It was the first time an American had been to space, and Johnson made sure NASA got it right. Johnson also helped guide the Apollo missions to the moon and was still vital to NASA long after it finally started using quote-unquote real computers. John Glenn, one of NASA's pioneering astronauts, trusted her work so much that he personally requested she recheck calculations from the electronic computers. Though it's pretty clear that Johnson was critical to NASA's first space voyages, Johnson is still only just getting the recognition she rightfully deserved. She's received numerous awards and was even given the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Barack Obama in 2015. About time, a biopic, Hidden Figures, about Johnson and her black female colleagues at NASA is also in the works. The movie stars Taraji P. Henson as Johnson and is slated for release in 2017. It also stars Octavia Spencer as Dorothy Vaughn, Johnson's supervisor and genius programmer and coder at NASA for 28 years. R&B artist Janelle Monet is also tied to the project as Mary Jackson. Jackson was not only one of the badass female computers alongside Johnson and Vaughn at that time, but was also a trailblazer in women's rights. She educated black women in her field on how to advance in their careers from mathematicians to engineers and land positions that were normally never offered. Though the release of Hidden Figures is still a while off, it's receiving huge attention from some well-known names. Pharrell Williams jumped on board as not only a producer, but also the movie's music man. He's written songs for the movie and is even collaborating with Hans Zimmer on the score. Johnson is now retired from spaceships and astronauts. She'll be celebrating her 98th birthday on August 26th, which, coincidentally, is also Women's Equality Day. Share if you think Katherine Johnson's story needs to be heard. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> they can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR Network. I'm your host, Joanne Burrell, and I'm so happy to have this opportunity to be here today. The purpose of the Read, Read, Read radio show is to encourage students in underserved communities to read more and to seek college students to be matched up to mentor our youth to pit and to participate in the Read, Read, Read radio show book club, sponsored by the CWR Network and Jeanette's Joy Community Services. So, Peter, we left off talking about uh, and how students are not reading as much and not reading as well as they used to. And you talked about some books that interested your students. What books would you suggest? students read to broaden their view? Well, of course, I suggest uh, Louis L'Amour. I, I think a lot of biographies, but what I've been dealing primarily with high school students, so what age students are we talking about? Um, all, all ages, starting from uh, kindergartner because a lot of the kindergartners are not really reading. So what books would you, would you suggest for younger students as well as teenagers? I know your books are about teenagers. So what books would you suggest for teenagers? For teenagers, definitely Daniel, The Age of Discovery and the following, because there's so much in the book for them. 
I thought it was going to be one book when I started, but it's turned out to be four books. The fourth, the fourth one is about 50,000 words, 60,000 words now. But, and I'll tell you why, because when I retired from teaching, I didn't want to retire from teaching. I just physically couldn't do it anymore. I'm 75 now. I will be this year. And, and it's, it was just too hard on me physically. Uh, but I, there are things I still wanted to teach, and I decided I could teach it writing a book. So in the first book, Daniel has no social skills. He goes he's sent off to boarding school. He's very, very smart. He's self-educated, doesn't know what grades are. So it, it, we talk a lot about relationships between people, and we talk about bullying, and we talk about um, what school should be like. And Daniel actually ends up changing the school and because he's, he's different. We talk about helping one another and, and being forgiven. I, all these things are in there. There's, there's a lot of history in my books. It starts in 1928, and it will end, this series, particular part of it, will end after the crash in 1929. Uh, a lot of the problems that they dealt with in that time, we still have problems with. I find today, for example, uh, one of the things I'm trying to work on is all the hateful comments that are made in this country, and I started a policy on my Facebook page that if I get a negative comment, I write simply write, is this, this I said, this comment sounds, that's why, that's why I put. Because sometimes people say things and they don't realize how they're coming off. It's not that I agree or disagree with them. I would like us to think and be more conscious of how we talk to one another. So that's part of, part of my, my books. The history is part, uh, dealing with uh, social problems, really severe social problems in the South from 19, from the end of World War I. Uh, well, in 1929, where we go South, uh, they're still there. Uh, the South is in an economic depression, and this kept getting worse and worse ever since the Great War ended. Uh, people lost their homes. So it was really a view of the future that was going to come in, in the 1930s for the whole country and the world. So we talk about a lot. We talk about a lot of things, uh, and I have some issues I, that I want to cover, and I will. I will do that. Um, you know, I grew up in the '50s, and things were things were a lot different then. But people, even when they disagreed, were much more respectful of one another when they disagreed, and you know, of course. Uh, segregation was still going on in, in great force in 1961 when I went to college, but my closest friends were were black, and uh, we had the only fraternity that had no restrictive clauses when I went there. We started my end of my, end of my freshman year, and um, it, that's been an issue for me. And I had black students to my house, and I visited them in their homes, and across the country. So it it was a really good really good experience. And it was also a good experience uh to be there when things got a little nasty because my closest friend was black and we were black and white together. I don't think people really had black and white friends in the sixties, not many of them. No, um, there was no they didn't. So, so those those things those things have changed. My life is richer for it. Uh, you know, it was it was just fun to be with them, and we've maintained friendships for a long time. Um, so that, and I'm going to address this in my book because it's in 1929, and I plan to address it uh, in my fourth book. So that's that's that's, that's really awesome because, uh, as you said. It was hard to have those relationships back then, and sometimes it's hard to have those relationships now. And with you touching on it in your book, um, and in your book uh, really for teenagers, it'll give them a different view of how things were um, a long time ago. And things are still the same way in some instances now. So it's a way for, for the conversation to get started. 
at least read about it, and the students have a way of um, seeing someone else's view, uh, given, you know, given their opinion. And, Go ahead. And, you know, there have been some horrible times in in uh, the world where people have been majorly persecuted. Uh, the Armenians in the early 1900s, the Jews in the mid-1900s. Well, the Jews have always been persecuted. Um, and we have we had a thing in uh, Croatia, Serbia in the 90s. And we have all this going on in various states in Africa. Uh, it, it's sad. We we're blessed to be in the United States. So you, I don't think, think people always realize how blessed we are to be here. So I, uh, I agree with are, you. And we have opportunity here. You know, you can be anything you want in this country, and now no one's going to give it to you. But you, you can come from a poor family like Clarence Thomas did. Uh, his mother, I think, as I read, if I remember his biography correctly, was a prostitute, and they were really poor. And then finally, I guess when they were in a Ready for primary school, the grandparents took them in, but he he started with nothing, and so it and it and it can it can happen. But people come to this country don't even speak the language in a generation; they're millionaires. I mean, this this country are, has opportunities for everyone if they want to work. Right, and some of us are um, are not given that opportunity, even though it's there, and we're putting forth all of our efforts. And we're doing the right mm-hmm. things, but as we can see, sometimes that opportunity is there for some and not for others. But right now, yes. we need to take another commercial break, and we'll be right back. People been saying to your friend, get a different face, and posting on their feed, they're super ugly. someone being bullied online you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool and by letting your friend know you care learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org brought to you by the ad council are you there College is back in session, and new survey results show that many students are getting failing grades when it comes to managing their money. According to a recent Visa USA Consumer Survey, 42% of consumers have never checked their credit score. The same survey found that only 20% of Americans know that it's perfectly legal for employers to refuse to hire a job applicant if they have a bad credit score. Jason Alderman is a personal finance expert and director of Visa's free consumer education and awareness program called What's My Score? College students entering the workforce need to know what their credit score is because it can have a serious impact on their ability to get hired. A bad credit score can send an otherwise well-qualified job applicant straight to the unemployment line. That's why it is so important for everyone to stick to a budget and pay their bills on time. Students and adults can get a free estimate of their credit score and tips on how to better manage their money by visiting whatsmyscore.org. I'm Lee Shepard. Welcome back to the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR Network with your host, Joanne Burroughs. I want to remind you all of the call-in number, 917-889-8078. Again, that number is 917-889-8078. And if you have questions for me or Mr. Pactor, we'd be glad to take your phone call. I think we do have a caller. I'm not sure if they have a question. Let's see. Hi, caller. Okay. I guess they're just listening to the show. So we left off talking about how um, children need to read more and some of the books that they have exposure to. And I thought that was interesting 
for you to have your books and uh, starting with uh, going back to 1929, did you say it was? 28 it starts. Starting in 1928 through 1929. Right. And I, and I think that that's a very good idea because a, a lot of our students, like, I, like we said earlier, they're used to uh, the digital age the computers and getting instant information and not really uh, having to seek out the information as we used to have to by going to the library and really reading it for themselves. They're getting it instantly. So what is the one thing that you would recommend parents to do um, to get, to help students to be aware of the support that the students uh, the, be aware of the support that's out there for students to read more. What are some of the things that the, uh, parents should do? Would you suggest maybe like going to the library on a regular basis, yeah. even though we have everything instantly at our fingertips? What are some of the things that parents could do? Well, for first their of all, I think, I think it's really important that parents read to their very young children who can't read spend some time reading and set an example. Uh-huh. I think it, it, I think it's important for parents to read as well. If they read at home, then the children growing up will uh, they follow the read at least until they're, they're 12 years old when parents don't know anything anymore, right? And, yes. And, and I think, you know, library is a good idea. Uh, you can make a game of it. Get them interesting things. I don't. I really don't care what the kids read. My, I grew up reading comic books, and I, and I read. I read not only did I read them, I read them over and over again. And then there's a, a good series, and you can find these books in used bookstores if you're lucky. I I found them and sent sent a bunch to my grandchildren. They're they're published by Landmark Books, L A N D M A R K. They're in for probably uh, middle school, junior high students, and uh, they're they're extraordinarily good books, and they're they're historical. They talk their biographies. I read <clears throat> I read a book. It wasn't uh, my favorite book. Landmark book was on Genghis Khan. I must have read it three or four times when I was a kid. But I read a book in the sixth grade, I think it was, and it won a, it won an award. It's called. Uh, well, I have senior, senior carry on, Mr. Bowditch. I was having a senior moment there. Carry on, Mr. Bowditch, and he was a real person. It's a biography, and I remembered it when I was writing. I think it was my second book, and I remembered because he was he was pretty much self-educated. He was good in math, and he wanted to learn calculus, and he wanted to read. He didn't have any money to pay for these things, and he wanted to read Principia by Isaac Newton. And finally, he bought a copy of it, but the copy he bought was in Latin. He didn't know, <clears throat> he didn't know uh, how to read Latin, so he got a Latin Bible, an English Bible, and he taught himself to read Latin. I think he taught himself some other languages too. And that, that stuck with me that he was able to do that through his reading and then after he mastered Principia, he, he was also a surveyor at this time, but when he mastered Principia, he went to sea and he, be, he, he discovered that navigating a ship was the same as doing surveying except on a moving deck. And the, the books, the standard books were wrong, and he wrote what is even today standard for navigation um, from ships and where things are and how to find them. And he uh, he lived from like 1775 to 1825. Those aren't the exact years. But it, it was amazing that he could to do that, you working with uh, translation and uh, the original language. So totally self-taught doing that. I think he learned French the same way. And I put that in my book. And I, I think... Getting kids interested in, in the lives of people is important. Biography mm-hmm. is so important. I I have a 
a project. I I've hired uh, over the years artists to do portraits of people whose lives I feel are worth emulating, and I hopefully will have a a museum or a gallery, or maybe I'll give these portraits to college uh, because people they just people just see these these great stars with stars, not necessarily athletic, but these, these very successful people, and all they see them as, as successful. And when you get involved with these people, you read their biographies, you learn that they weren't born successful. They started with nothing, most of them, and and made the way forward. I uh, uh, can't tell you the number of examples of people who just stuck with it and overcame their, their problems. So part of it is wanting to, part of it is doing it. Uh, like I told you before, anyone in this country can be anything they want to be, but it's not going to take work. And some people, as you pointed out, aren't, aren't born into as good situations as others sometimes, but that doesn't stop people from becoming successful if they want to do it. Yes, and one good example of a person that read all of their lives and really benefited, Oprah Winfrey. That is the key that she said was uh, instrumental in her being the speaker and the person that she is today. It's the reading that she do. And I know for a fact that reading a lot is, is helpful for everyone especially our younger children, because it, it just opened their minds up to so many things and it helped them to be able to go to places that they never could have gone had they not read that book. And some other and good Abraham suggestions. Lincoln. Okay, Abraham Lincoln. Uh-huh. Go ahead and yeah. talk about that. Oh, my goodness. He had less than a year's formal education, which he admitted. And interestingly enough for Lincoln, when he went to School. It was a lab school. Everyone read different things at the same time, and he always he read aloud often. And if you read his writing, uh, he liked Shakespeare. He liked uh, the Bible. And if you read his writing, you will hear in many of the things he wrote a cadence and the use of words way beyond normal people. It's 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 because he could hear it. Just sometimes read the Decla- the Gettysburg Address carefully, and you'll see that he what I'm talking about. He's got the sound. Read it aloud. He's got the sound with it. It's a great thing. Yeah. So reading. Yeah. So reading is beneficial, and some other places that our uh, parents and educators can go to get good reading material at a low or free cost is our libraries. I know many That's libraries true. have sales and their li- their books are starting sometimes at 10 cents. I know I'm a friend of the library in the state of Maryland and you could get 10 children books regardless of the size um, for 10 for one dollar. So th- these, this that is one place that uh, parents can go to get books for their kids at a low cost, as well as learning about your history. A lot of our kids don't know their history, and part of what's happening today in our world is because of the fact that our kids don't know their history, and they're repeating what's happened to their ancestors already. So I think it's beneficial for kids to read um, and to read more. And I think it's important for us as adults to help them to read more. And that's why I think it's so important for them to have mentors. And that's the whole purpose of this radio show is to engage our community and our families and our kids to be mentored and to uh, see the benefits of being mentored. So right now we're going to take our last break and we'll be right back. Listen, 
and imagine. It takes five seconds to send a text, and for those five seconds, you're driving blind. Life is worth more than a text. Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Hi, my name is Matthew Pinsker. I'm a historian, and here are some things you need to know to sound smart about the 19th Amendment. The 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the one that guaranteed women the right to vote, was ratified in 1920. But the truth is women had been voting in American elections for long before that. In the early years of the Republic, for example, there were some places where women voted, in the state of New Jersey until 1807. But in most cases, women were denied the right to vote in the 19th century. They started agitating for the right to vote openly and in public in the late 1840s and early 1850s after meetings in places like Seneca Falls in New York. During the Civil War period, women were involved in the fight against slavery and the fight to save the Union. After the Civil War, leaders like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony thought that their fight to end slavery would get them included in the amendments like the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment that guaranteed the rights to former slaves, and they lost. It was a devastating blow to their cause. And so they reorganized themselves in a long campaign for suffrage. Sometimes they did this on a state-by-state or territory-by-territory basis, especially effective out west. Then there were women led by Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton who organized the National Woman's Suffrage Association. They were fighting to change the Constitution. Sometimes they fought in the courts. They actually tried to vote. Susan B. Anthony got herself arrested at one point doing that. Ultimately, these fights converged at the beginning of the 20th century and during the era of World War I. There was a serious campaign to try to change the Constitution. They had what they called silent sentinels posted outside the White House with protest signs. Those silent sentinels were arrested by municipal authorities and imprisoned. It was uh, a stark moment in the history of women's rights. Women being imprisoned, and in some cases force-fed. Eventually, women gained the right to vote in states like New York, They convinced Woodrow Wilson to support women's suffrage. And finally, by 1919, the Congress had endorsed, after much struggle, this proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And women began voting wholesale across the country in the presidential election of 1920. Welcome back to the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR Network with your host, Joanne Burrell. Well, Mr. Pactor, we're coming up on our last 10 minutes. I want to um, thank you for very much for being my first guest. I really enjoyed oh. your book. And one of the things that I really um, enjoyed about reading your book is be- it was the, the helpful information that's in there. And one of the things was about balance. And it talks about teenagers having to have balance. And one of the the three main responsibilities for them to have is God, their family, and their education. And everything else could come after that. And once they take care of those three things, they should be able to do anything else that they want to do as long as it's a good thing. But this was something important that really uh, stuck with me. But is there anything else you want to say? Uh, not particularly unless there's something you, you particularly want to talk about. I like your commercials on your show, too. I, I see you hand select those. I did. I did. <laughs> I thought it was important for the, uh, the listening audience to hear those things. Uh, and it was very helpful as three that it told because some of those things I didn't really um, know the indebtedness of it until I heard it uh, on the radio. Uh, do you have any upcoming engagements that you would like our listeners to know about? No, I, I, I don't. This is the first one. I, I get these requests periodically, and I'm glad to do them. I'd like to see more people reading my books because there's so much to them. I was at the, in the credit union actually this when my first book came out it looked like there was a run on the bank there were so many people in there i've never seen 
a bank with so many people standing in line. But I started talking to this fellow next to me. I was enthusiastically talking about Daniel, the age of discovery. And mm-hmm. and he got excited about it. I went out and bought a copy of himself. I, he, I think he bought an e-book. And then uh, he, he wrote a review on Amazon, which you can you can find there. He says, uh, the book was so good, I'm buying a hard copy for my nephew. And so I... The frustrating thing for me is letting people know that the book is out there because it, it, it really is an awesome book. My second book won two awards. Uh, that was Daniel the Age of Anxiety. One was for a first, this is by Reader Views. One was first place for a young adult. And the other was second place for general fiction, which is adult and everything else. Mm-hmm. Fiction. So. I was really surprised, and actually I was tickled to have done that because I think the books are good, and and of course I write them, but um, there's just a lot in there, and it's a lot of information, not only for for young adults, but for adults. Parents, when I was teaching, parents stopped me and said, you know, all my kids are going to read this book, and if if you read the comments uh, of the readers. Uh, they're pretty good, but you know the hard part is is promoting it and and letting people know that it's out there. So the, I mean, your show has given me an opportunity to do that. I I I hope they'll all read it because not because it's my book, but because there's a lot of value to the book. And there's, as I said before, there's life lessons, there's history, there's art. There, I I usually put some music in there too, some famous. People, of course, mm-hmm. at the time the book was written, Al Jolson was the most famous, famous artist of his time and the highest paid artist of his time, making like fifteen thousand dollars a week when the average salary was fifteen hundred dollars a year. Mm. So I mean, so that's, that's a huge difference. Yes, and uh, the people I have in there, the models. I've read a biography of every every person I've introduced in this book, every real person okay. uh, from you might, you might be interested in reading a biography of Frances Perkins, for example, she was uh, FDR's commissioner of labor when he was governor of New York. And she came to uh, the white house with Roosevelt uh, and became the first woman who was secretary in the cab in the cabinet. He was, she was secretary of labor and she had actually witnessed the uh, waist shirt fire in 1911, and that really influenced her to fix labor conditions. And she told Roosevelt that she would come, but we had to work on social, do the social security and and unemployment insurance and make things better for the working person. And I'm reading a book now. Uh, it's a collection of letters. Uh, written to mainly to her, uh, but also to, to FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt about labor conditions all across the country for his term, for as long as Roosevelt and she were in, in office. So it, it was, it's a really interesting thing to see how people suffered. And you, you could almost, I mean, it, it makes you upset just to read it because these people were just treated awfully. Yeah, and and so that that was an interesting life. And as a matter of fact, she was resented so much. Frances Perkins was she was resented so much that uh, that they actually ended up trying to impeach her because she was a woman. Primarily, that was the, that was the cause of it, but they didn't succeed. I mean, they, they tried, yeah. but they couldn't succeed. So it so there there are things like that that are in my book and. And, of course, I haven't gotten to that yet because when I introduced her, she's still labor commissioner for New York because Roosevelt doesn't become president until 32, and I'm still in 29. But she was active in New York, and uh, the farmers were having trouble not only in the south, but they are starting to have trouble in the north, too. They couldn't uh, sell their, their crops as a, as a, at a profit. And okay. So, so, so that that was a problem, and they'd already started foreclosing 
uh, farms in the South, mm-hmm. uh, South Carolina alone, where Bernard Baruch uh, lived as one of his homes. Uh, in that time period, from the end of the Great War to 1929, 647 banks had failed, and just in South Carolina, and it was, mm. that was just a sample of the, of the South. And you know they're going to fail in the 30s too. Okay. But um, so these things that I that I, I'm putting in there, the people, the people that are in there are absolutely fascinating. The real people, their biographies are worth are worth reading. Uh, Roger Babson is in there. You, know, you probably don't know Roger Babson, but he was he was one of the few economists who said that the market's going to crash, and and we're going to have a depression. And he had some interesting things in his life. For example, he got tuberculosis, and they, he lived up in Massachusetts. And they told mm-hmm. him he had to go south to New Mexico or Arizona for his health, for uh-huh. the fresh air. And he didn't want to go. And he said, what's the difference to himself? He said, what's the difference between fresh air in Arizona and fresh air in Massachusetts? So they lived with their ha- their windows open all year round, which is not an easy accomplishment in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty and cold up there. Tuberculosis. He founded Babson College and Weber College and also Utopia College, which came out, which was founded maybe the, about 1960, but it's no longer, it no longer exists. And he started with nothing, struggled and made and became very wealthy. He was one of the first uh, corporate financial analysts in the country. So he would analyze companies and tell you, and could tell you, like, it's like Standard & Poor today. They, they put out these these reports on companies tell you how they're doing financially. Okay. So, so in your book, you ask, you ask if uh, after reading your book and the reader have thoughts that should be included, how can our listeners contact you and find your books? Uh, the, the books are, uh, I don't sell them on my website. I have the information on my website and that's peterpactor.net. There's a place to contact me there. Also, uh, any place where they sell books online, they're there. So you go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can go to Barnes and Noble store, and and they can order it for you. Or you can go to Friesen Press. I didn't put it in the stores because if you put books in the stores, uh, I learned so much from doing this. Uh, it call, you have to pay a book return insurance, which is six hundred dollars per title. Mm. And I and. I don't know if there's probably an advantage to having your books. In a uh, I thought it was better to use the money for for producing the books because my books are, are uh, self-produced. Yeah, I worked through Freeze and Press. They've been around for over 100 years, I think. And uh, I, I tell you, I, what I spend on doing this hasn't reached a full year of college tuition yet. So, so, and I've learned a tremendous amount. This has been a great learning experience. Yeah. I've got a, a, a great editor who helps me, who's really helped me to become a better author, to write better. Uh, it hasn't taken long to me one one book, but uh, to, to learn the value of working with well, so it's, it's I Well, awesome. most of our listening audience, they, I'm sure, go to Amazon to purchase their books. I think many people right. go to uh, Amazon to purchase your books their books so Amazon right. for sure I know that's where I found your book so Amazon is right. a great place to go and find your book well thank you so much Mr. Pactor for being here today I'm so happy well, you were you. able to be a guest well it was my pleasure I had a good time I'm glad we spoke before and so we got to know each other this is really very good thank you yes it was a, a pleasure for you to be my first guest and to come and share your wisdom today with our listening audience. And the title of Peter Pactor Books, Thoughts to Hold On to for Teenagers, which I believe is a good book for parents to use as a, a weekly um, gathering with their children, just to go over some of the concepts and words that's in your book. I think it's awesome, an awesome book for parents to read with their teenagers on a weekly basis, or even teachers. They could use it in their classroom with their teenagers. And then another book is Daniel, The Age of Discovery, 
and Daniel, The Age of Anxiety. And what is the book that comes out in May? Daniel, The Age of Epimetheus. Okay. Look out for you know, that you book. Know Epi- and- Do you know who Epimetheus was? No, I don't. He was, you're probably not alone. Uh, Epimetheus was the brother of Prometheus, and Prometheus in Greek means uh, thinking ahead, so you have forethought, and then acting. And Epimetheus means afterthought, so you act and then you think about it afterwards. So that's why it's called the age of Epimetheus, because people just weren't thinking well before the crash. And you know, some of our people are not thinking well now with the age of the internet and uh, electronic devices. They're, everything is spur of the moment because everything is right at their fingertips. So I right. think that's a, that would be a good read. Did you know? Did well, you know the students? Are, did you know the students are are starting to feel that the cell phone is controlling them instead of the other way around? And I can believe it. About it. I could believe it. I read an article where uh, our electronic devices can hijack our brains. So I, I could mm-hmm. believe it. But we're coming up at the end of the show, and I want to talk about how we still have a need for college students to mentor you, age 8 through 15. And if you have a child who know or know a child who needs a mentor and and attend a Title I school in an underserved community. We want you to consider this opportunity for them to be mentored. And please send me an email at joanneburl at cwrmedia.net. Again, my email address is nb as in boy, url at cwrmedia.net. D-I-A dot net. Let's help our students succeed with the support of a mentor. Also, well, folks, this is the end of our show. Thank you to our sponsors for your support. Thank you to my listeners for tuning in to the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR network. Thank you to Jeanette Joy Community Services for the support that they are rendering for the mentoring program and the book club that our students can be a part of by joining and uh, and requesting a mentor. We hope to see you next month with our guest, Dr. Joe Martin, who will be helpful, who will have helpful suggestions in seeking mentors for our children. My thoughts are with the family and fans of Prince Rogers Nelson, better known as Prince. I want to acknowledge that today is the second anniversary of his death. Let's be thankful that the music outlives the man. Rest in peace, Prince. Remember, one who refuses to seek the advice of others will eventually be led to a path of ruin. A mentor helps you to perceive your own weaknesses and confront them with courage. The bond between a mentor and mentee enables us to stay true to our chosen path until the very end. Commit to mentor a child today. Until next time, I am your host, Joanne Burrell, of the Read, Read, Read radio show on the CWR Network. Thank you for listening. Peace, everyone.
Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back to thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. Wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say They're the ones who's coming up and the world is in their hands When you teach the children, teach them the very best they can But just let it be. Na, 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 na. The world won't get no better. We gotta change it now. Just you and me. Wake up, all the doctors make the old people well. They're the ones who suffer and who catch all the hair. But they don't have so very long. Time to build a new land I know we can do it If we all lend a hand The only thing we have to do Is put it in our minds Surely things will work out They do it every time 